Hi there, and welcome to episode 12 of the OGV Media Group Let's Talk Transition podcast series. I'm Murray Melhuish, the founder of Anit Consulting. We bring offshore technology and services to market and provide offshore project management. I'm delighted to have with me today one of the early pioneers of offshore wind, uh, somebody that has built his career uh, and a real name for himself in the business. Alan McCaskill, co-founder and chief technical officer of Flotation Energy. Alan, can you introduce yourself in Flotation Energy, please? Yeah, uh, my name is Alan McCaskill. Um, I am one of the founders of Flotation Energy, which is an offshore wind development company, which myself and Nicol Stephen founded in 2018, and which in 2022 was taken over, bought by uh, TEPCO of Japan, TEPCO Renewables. Brilliant. And um, how long have you been in offshore wind, Alan? Um, I've, I've been in offshore wind since probably about 2001, two. I was working in Talisman Energy and I was asked to have a wee look at this concept that we had been approached about. And um, it sort of grew over the next... Um, six, seven years until we actually built the t- turbines in the Murray Firth, which are the, at the time the biggest turbines further from shore in deepest water and the first to go on jackets and the first to go on the continental shelf. And that was, that was how I sort of ended up in the wind business. That's some really pioneering stuff. Um, so, you know, since the early noughties, how have you seen the industry change? Well, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, It was an idea which was sort of possibly coming to fruition. Uh, Onshore wind was sort of real, but even then it was subsidized and um, meeting lots of resistance. The concept of going offshore was just being talked about. I think as we got into it, they had put two machines off Blythe uh, and some on the harbour, and there had been some done in the Scandinavian countries, Denmark and Sweden, and that really was it. Um, and then we decided that we needed electricity for our oil platform, and for various reasons, which are now lost and mired in uh, time, Talisman ultimately decided to sanction, in partnership with SSE, the construction of the two turbines at Beatrice. Brilliant. And uh, so rolling forward to Flotation Energy then, you know, tell us about your your project. Well, Flotation Energy is a follow-on, not just from the Beatrice project, but from Sea Energy, which was the first company we set up. And the intention was not to specialise in floating, but to master in floating. We do fixed and floating, depending on what's available and what the opportunities are. But, you know, we have built and been part of that project for I guess 10 years now since we first started King Carden and the idea was to see that grow into a major industry and, and over the next 10 or 15 years the dominance of floating will come to pass. There will be more floating wind in this world than there will be fixed wind because there's more deep waters than there are shallow waters. Yes, it's uh, quite incredible how quickly the industry is changing towards that, isn't it? Um, and I'm interested, you mentioned there that um, you'd had some investment f- 
from TEPCO. Yeah. Um, you know, TEPCO, the Tokyo Energy Company, to is that Tokyo right? Tokyo Electrical, Electric Power Company. Tokyo Electric Power Company. Biggest utility in Japan and fourth biggest in the world. Wow. And, um, you know, how has that affected the business and, and its plans? Um, well, it basically, we're learning now. We, we are part of TEPCO. They have uh, been interested in, through the renewables division, it's TEPCO Renewables that we're part of, um, in floating wind for a number of years. They have, a, they have about 100 people in Japan who specialize in, in wind. Um, uh, and a, their largest objective, I suspect, is floating. Um, because of the nature of Japan, it has no continental shelf to speak of, so fixed structures are not really going to work there. And you can go off just coast of Japan and fairly soon be in a thousand meters of water um, and the Pacific seabed. Wait, does this mean we'll see flotation energy setting up in Japan or you know, how does it affect your international footprint? The plan as explained to us is that we will be in, they, they will they will probably do that. We may be working with them. We may second some of our staff. They're seconding their staff here. Um, but what I suspect may also happen is that we will be their vanguard in certainly Europe and maybe in other parts of the world. We're already uh, operating like uh, Australia. Right. And Alan, you know, closer to home, we've got some huge plants for floating offshore wind, yeah. which you've alluded to, not yeah. least of which is, of course, INTOG. Um, can you give us you know, an overview of INTOG? And it's, just in case our audience aren't familiar with it, yeah. you know, what is it, what, what are its okay. goals, and what's your approach been? Okay, INTOG is um, a concept called, which stands, it stands for Innovative and uh, Targeted Oil and Gas Decarbonization. Innovation and targeted oil and gas decarbonization. It's really two programs in one. One is for those who want to go and get a hundred megawatt uh, test and demonstration project, they can get that. Um, we already have one in the Celtic Sea, which was awarded by Crown Estate in England. We got that a couple of years ago. Um, and then the other piece of it is something that I've specialized in, I guess, for a decade or more. Um, and uh, that is the targeted oil and gas decarbonization. And the objective is to do what we did when we built the Beatrice turbines in 2006 and 2007, um, which was we built them adjacent to an oil field and um, we took the power from the turbines and we used that to power the oil field providing us with more power. And remind us, what's the time scale for this? What does the timeline look like? Well, the timeline that we're involved in is very different from most offshore wind farms. We saw the opportunity of um, the, the Green Vault project in, two, we started work on it in 2019. In 2021, uh, we started, no, it's 20, we started the process of gathering the necessary data. So last summer, we are last, April, we finished all of the data gathering that you need for uh, birds and various other things, all the environmental data. We pre-invested in that and in conjunction with the operator using their vessels and various things, we managed to gather all the data. The site is also a decommissioned oil field site. 
So we have all the data from that oil field, which was discovered in the 70s. All of those things together have allowed us to put the consent application in. Although we haven't yet been awarded the lease for the site, we have the consent application in the system, which means that by the end of this year, assuming we win the lease, we will have the consent. And if we have the consent, then we, have, we can apply for the CFD for floating technology next year, which means that by the second half of next year, we can go to FID. And therefore, that project can be online in 27. And of course, now we see a significant uptake in demand from oil and gas, huge demand from offshore wind. Um, you know, and I just wonder, you know, how do we um, square that circle? You know, how much of a threat is scarcity of resources for delivery of these projects? Because of course, in Scotland, we've got oil and gas in TOG in Scotland, but we also compete for these resources against other provinces, other oil and gas provinces, yeah. other offshore wind. So how much of a threat is that scarcity to delivery of these projects? Well, that is, is going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. But it's something which ultimately, it's about the speed. I mean, I think that we are right up at the front of the wave. Scotland is an idea. It's a long way from delivery, you know. Our projects are in, uh, of the two big projects we have in Scotland, um, one is in the consent process and the other one is in the scoping process. Um, it will be three or four years before virtually well any other project can get to that stage. So, so we're ahead of the game. I can't see many Scotland projects coming together much before um, the 2030s. There might be one or two of the fixed developments can make it that are further from shore and in non-contentious areas, but the bulk of it will be much, much delayed beyond that. Um, our two projects, if we can get them across the line, which, you know, we're on our way, but we haven't got there yet, um, those ones should be delivering in 27 and 29. Um, the second one is much bigger at 1400 megawatts and it has a much more difficult connection because it's simply further offshore near bigger oil fields. So, so that's the challenge that we've got to get to. Um, but the whole process of consenting and progressing projects really does need to be simplified. And is there something specific you'd like to see improved in that process? Well, I guess the biggest single um, bugbear is probably grid, um, which is a system which there's lots of people with an established interest and lots of things running, but it's a process that's designed um, 30, 40, 50 years ago for a different world where you wanted to take power from large centralized coal fire power stations to large urban areas. And it's not designed to pick up remote power distributed around the North Sea and to take that to those conurbations. So that's something which has to be addressed. And I so Alan, these are massive scale opportunities. You know, there must be some significant employment opportunities um, available in these projects and with flotation energy. Can, can you give us a, a little bit of an overview of those? Yeah, um, as I said to you earlier, we were at the uh, 
Green Energy Awards and one of our staff pointed out there were more people at the Green Energy Awards at the end of 21 than had been in the company in January that year. Um, so we're now up to about 75 people and we expect to go to, I think it's depending on how successful we are in the Intog leases, somewhere between 125 and maybe 150. And we are recruiting and we're um, bringing people in from a variety of different industries. Um, we bring quite a lot of people from oil and gas. Um, I came from oil and gas. Most of many of my colleagues through there came from oil and gas. So, so we have been doing that. We also bring people in from different aspects. We also try to work with the big tier one suppliers because we won't be building the bits, we'll just be commissioning them. And um, make sure they understand what we're doing, where we're going to go, what the ideas are to speed up the process and to make it efficient. And that is what we're working on at the moment. Do you think, you know, thinking about people at the beginning of their careers, do you think, Alan, we're doing enough to get people into our sector, into offshore wind? Well, I always try to do what I can. Um, if any young person comes to me and says they'd like some information, I'm usually happy to chat with them. Um, I, I think that uh, it is also, I don't know how, how it, I didn't know about oil and gas when I was a ch growing up. I knew a little bit about it. I came into that industry through various things at the university and I have moved around within it and then moved into a different business. So I think the opportunities there, I think the big important thing is, you know, trying to get people interested in science, technology, engineering and things like that, um, which I've always been prepared to work with and to do with people. Um, so we just have to give, we have to give people that opportunity. And I think last year we took out uh, two groups of students to Kincardine, um, which uh, allowed them to physically see it. And I think when you get a chance to go and do and see something like that, and you stand and you look up at the top is 191 meters above you, and you're two meters above the sea, then that starts to say, well, this is something I'm quite interested in. And whether that's because you want to talk about the contracts or the they, they manage the people or design the structures. There are lots of different things you can do. Brilliant. I mean, how, if there are young people out there that want to get involved in flotation, how do they get? Well, you just go to our website. Our, uh, uh, any jobs that we have are there. We are recruiting. We have a number that we need to recruit this year pretty significantly. Um, you know, somebody here who's been here three or four months is one of the old guard now. So that's the world that we're in. And, uh, you know, thinking about success for flotation energy, how do you define that? Success for flotation energy is basically, in, in, in my view now, to provide um, opportunities to our parent into which we can invest capital and deliver um, large amounts of power. They have an ambitious target and we need to be able to provide them with the opportunities to deliver that target. And I think one of the things that interested them about us was the fact that they also their target is for 2030. So it's difficult, it's challenging and it's not very far away when you 
remember the scale of what we're attempting to do. It's going to keep you busy for sure. It's going to keep us busy, yes. Um, Alan, the last podcast episode that we recorded was with Philippe Cavafian, the yep. uh, executive director at Acre Horizons. Yep. Um, and Alan left this question for you. After the introduction of the Inflation Reduction Act in the USA, which boosted most energy tr transition technology, what is the very concrete measure which you would expect from Europe to boost your domain of activity? Well, I, 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 um, it's an interesting question. I read an article again in The Economist about the Inflation Reduction Act um, and it says, well, the one thing you need needs to avoid is basically a competition of uh, uh, build European. Um, you know, things that are successful are done not, not because you say it's got to be built in America, but that's what they're going to do. Um, but what we do need to do, I think, is actually just make ourselves more competitive. And the way to do that is, in my view, to speed up the processes that it time and the time it takes to actually build these things, um, to, to, to get them to a point where you can finance them. So you've got to, you've got to allow companies to progress forwards. But I'm not convinced that the way we're doing it, in, certainly in the UK, where we're throwing out loads of projects all over the place, um, it's better to get a few projects running and then get some more following on and some more. Because to bring cost reduction skill, you've got to do a project. And then once you've done a project, you can do another project, but you've got all that knowledge and you can do it more efficiently, more effectively, and you probably get better technology because the technology will have improved. And so it's about making it all happen. I think that that's what we need to do. Ahead of this call, Alan, you were asked to set a question for our next guest without, of course, knowing uh, who, who they would be. Um, can you let us have it, please? Yeah, I guess the question uh, we came up with, or I came up with along when we discussed it, is, you know, we, we can build the wind farms, but we've got to get the power to market. And that isn't just the offshore cables, it's the onshore cables. It's how are we going to get the power to the people through the grid systems and um, all the way from the wind farm to the consumer or the factory or whatever it is. And, and that process seems to me to be bound up and height bound in rules, regulations and purpose that is no longer valid, that the world is different and what is it we're going to do to uh, unplug that and make it more efficient. Great, so I guess in a nutshell, to get the power to the people, we need to change the process. Yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. Perfect, great, thank you very much. Now that brings us to the end of our interview okay. today. Um, I'd like to thank you, uh, you know, Alan McCaskill, co-founder, Chief Technology Officer of Flotation Energy for, for joining me on the podcast today. Okay, thank you very much for your time. As always, feedback on today's podcast will be most welcome. If you want to get in touch with uh, suggestions for who we feature in future, suggestions for questions, let us have them. Uh, do it through LinkedIn or email. It's murray at anatconsulting.com. That's M-O-R-A-Y at a-N-N-E-T consulting.com. Thank you very much.